Historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. My name is Itai Tenenbaum. I am both an Israeli and an American. Born in Tel Aviv, moved to the United States at the age of 11, and lived in the Washington, D.C. area. At 18, I returned to Israel, served in the Israeli Defense Forces, mainly as a tank commander. I participated in the First Lebanon War in the 1980s and for years inside Gaza in my month-a-year reserve duty. I run boutique tours to Israel and, of course, this podcast, Inside Israel. I'd like to dedicate this episode to try and understand the mindset of the Hamas leadership. Really, I mean, yes, they are radical in their ideology, and yes, they are somewhat delusional about what the future may entail, namely their delusion that Israel will disappear. But they are realistic. They fully understand that at this time and place, they cannot defeat Israel in a military confrontation. They cannot defeat us at war. So, what were they thinking? I've grappled with this question. I researched it, interviewed experts, spoke to Arab friends, and more. I've gotten several answers, like Hamas thought many others would join the fight creating an all-out war in the Middle East, and that maybe would help their victory. Or that the hostages captured by Hamas would paralyze Israel into submission. Negotiations for the release of the hostages would last a long time, months or even years, as in the case of Gilad Shalit that was held for five and a half years. This kind of situation and the fear for the lives of the hostages would limit Israel's ability to desire to fight. Or, a third answer that I heard, was that Hamas may have thought the fighting would be for a limited time as is, as was in many other military operations. Operations like Returning Echo, the Pillar of Defense, Protective Edge, Wall Guardian, Dawnbreak, Cast Lead, all those are just a few of the operations that Israel conducted in Gaza. There were more. All of the above may have been part of the thought process of the Hamas leadership, but there is something much deeper in their philosophy, their ethos, their dogma, their ultimate faith. They honestly believe they can defeat Israel, a microcosm of Western society, using psychological terror, creating national trauma that will slowly but surely rip away at the seams of the society, unraveling it to the point in which the Israeli society will collapse, will implode. To try and grasp this way of thinking, I've invited Professor Rivka Tuval Mashiach of the Bar Ilan University. Professor Tuval Mashiach is also affiliated with Natal, the Israeli Center for National Trauma and Resilience. So we have with us Professor Tuval Mashiach, and I must say I read your article in the psychological, uh, in, sorry, in the Psychiatry Times, um, and about the psychological impact of Hamas as attack on Israel. And I found it absolutely illuminating. And one of the one of the I, bunch of questions for you. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was: You wrote about the reasons of why Hamas set fire to the bodies, and and I wanted to ask you why did they set fire to the bodies? What was the goal of that? I think the the idea is really that that Hamas did and still does whatever it can to create terror within the Israeli society. When I say terror, I mean the psychological fear, the experience that uh, we're very anxious, sometimes hopeless and helpless. And 
part of their agenda and for creating so much uh, pain and fear is really doing things that we are not prepared to. Shooting uh, parents in front of the kids or setting fire to the bodies or or kidnapping uh, babies and children are things that are really uh, creating what we call ambiguous loss, which means that we can come to terms with the loss because we, because we we have kidnapped people. We know it now. You know, we are two months after October 7th. And there's no ending to the event, right? We all feel that until the, the hostages will come all back and we know the truth about what happened to all the, the others who are still missing, we can start grieving because it's a never-ending story for us. And that's part of the psychological world. If someone loses a significant other, it's a painful event. But the normal event is that you start grieving and then you can start recovering. If there is nobody, there's no one returning home and you're still waiting, you can really start processing. You can start the grief process so you can really start recovering. You also talked about shared reality and you mentioned that Hamas not only did they shoot parents in front of their kids and all that, but they also damaged and destroyed communities as much as they could. They even set fire to abandoned cars. You figure, you know, why do that? It's 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 just an abandoned car. There's something about a shared reality. Yes, yes, it has a few meanings. One of them is the feeling that, you know, that everybody in the country feels something quite similar to all others. We look at it in a very rational way. Mostly the people of the southern parts were really attacked. But the way you feel it in Tel Aviv and the way I feel it where I live is as if it happened to us, to our brothers and sisters, even if we don't know people from there, right? The feeling is that it happened to us. And that's the idea of shared reality, that something leads you to emphasize and and to identify with the wounded people in a way that makes the experience like shared reality. And that actually leads me to another question. You also use a term called the massive loss of resources. So, you know, we have over 100,000 Israeli refugees from the Gaza border, but also from the Lebanese border because of the fighting that's going on with Hezbollah. And we meant, as we mentioned, there's a huge amount of um, destruction within communities around the Gaza area. And so what is what is the term, the, ma- the massive loss of resources? What does that imply for the rest of the society? First, I refer to it referencing the, the, you know, the refugees or the evacuated communities and families, because, you know, it's like a domino effect. If you lose one thing and then you lose your job because you can live in your house and you lose your house and you lose half of your community because they were murdered. So it's like a domino effect where you lose many, many resources. That's at the individual level, but then it happens at the community level, right? The, the community of Be'eri or the community of uh, Aza or of, or, or of Sderot, all these communities, they, they cope with a series of losses that makes it much more harder to recover. If you just lose one thing, it's easier to start, you know, paying back for what you lost or compensating. If you lost several resources, it's much harder to, you know, to go back. Okay. I also want to ask you about the 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 horrific rape of women 
we know, and there are so many testimonials of horrific, horrific rape and violation, violent violation of women, even though a lot of the women groups around the world, and that's a whole different topic, are not standing up for Israeli women and Jewish women and non-Jewish women. Why did Hamas go on raping so much? I mean, you know, they're, they're conducting battle. They're in the middle of battle. They want to try to take over, kill. All of a sudden, they find time not only to rape, but is it what's what's behind that? That's planned. And that's part of the psychological war that they decided in advance. They We know now that that was planned. They had a unit that was responsible for the sexual assaults and rapes. And that is what they did. It's not because they have time. And this is partly because in many societies, especially non-Western societies, conquering the women perceived as the symbol of the nation, the symbol of fertility, the symbol of continuity of the nation. If you, as the enemy, conquer the women, then it means that you are the ruler. So they wanted to make a point. It's not a coincidence. It's not because they couldn't control themselves. That was planned. This is terrible. All assaults are terrible. But this one, it's objectifying women first because they are women. And second, because they are the symbol of the nation. Okay, so my final question is this. You know, I have to admit, I have been in trauma the last two months. My youngest daughter, who's 20 years old, lost one of her best friends two days ago in Gaza. He was killed fighting in Gaza. And it's just so traumatic. I feel that we're in a national trauma. I feel that Israel is in a national trauma. And I guess my question to you is, A, are we? And I guess we are, as you mentioned already. And B, how do we start to heal from this? These are two excellent and big questions. But I want to I wanna really make a clear point. I think that by saying that we are under a collective trauma or national trauma, it still doesn't mean that we will all suffer from post-trauma. That's important because we use the word trauma so much, that, you know, the next thought is, okay, we will all need medication, we will all, all need therapy, and that's not the case. The majority of the, of the population is resilient. Yes, now we suffer, we have symptoms, we are sad, we are in pain, but with time, especially as the war ends, the majority will not need therapy because we are resilient. We will heal. There is a national trauma. I don't want to go to politics, but we'll have to be smart because healing means that we'll need to be smarter than October 6th, the way we entered this war. We weren't in a good shape as a society. That's clear to everybody. So the healing is being able to learn the lessons from what happens now and and become a better society, a more tolerant society. Thank you. Um, So, Professor Tuval Mashiach, I really wanted to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Like I said, it was illuminating. I'm glad uh, to join this podcast. As Professor Tuval Mashiach mentioned, we are still in the midst of the war. The war continues. Israel is determined to dismantle, eliminate Hamas's military power, and its political rule. The IDF troops have killed thousands of Hamas terrorists. Over 6,000 terrorists out of roughly 20,000 have been killed. Add to that, Hamas is wounded, of which the numbers are unknown. The IDF has taken many captives and destroyed much of Hamas's infrastructure, including underground tunnels. It is only a matter of time before we, Israel, eliminated Hamas from Gaza. So what were they thinking? Hamas, that is. I mean, Hamas is well aware that it cannot defeat Israel militarily. 
Let's go back to that for a moment. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and the rest of them are well aware they cannot defeat America or the West militarily. As stated, they do think they can destroy our culture and society. In doing so, they truly believe that we, the West, will implode. After all, their ideology is based on their superior religion, their superior culture, in their minds of course. They emphatically believe that Western society is weak, fake in its core. The radical Muslim jihadist groups believe that the West bases its entire being on one factor, one component, one ingredient. Without it, Western society disintegrates. Without it, Western society ceases to exist. As I said, it implodes. Try to guess. Well, what is that component? It's not family. It's not love. It's not doing acts of kindness. And it isn't even peace. It is money. Once again, it is money. As far as the Muslim radical terrorist movements are concerned, money for the West supersedes anything else. Money supersedes family. It supersedes love. And of course, the pursuit of materialism stands in direct dichotomy to acts of kindness and peace. Hence, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other Muslim Brother organizations possess an unshakable belief that the West is rotten in its core and will collapse. Of course, it's a process, and they will help the West disintegrate through the use of physical terror. But only if that physical terror is leveraged into psychological terror. Psychological terror becomes the means to inject the West into a state of mind, a fear, a mindset of fear that so agitates, upsets, flusters the body and mind, so unnerving that an individual or society can no longer make an objective assessment of risks. The extreme fear caused by ruthless random acts of violence intends to create panic and as a result, paralyze a society, even an entire nation. Remember back to the day after 9-11, when American society seemed paralyzed. The entire airspace in the United States and Canada were closed by order of the FAA. Stock markets immediately nosedived, and almost every economic sector was damaged. Sporting events were shut down nationally, from New York to San Diego, due to the fear of attack on massive amount of people in one venue. America was devastated, just like Al-Qaeda hoped. This was also the clear intention of Hamas when they pillaged, raped, butchered, decapitated, burned their victims alive, and kidnapped all genders and ages. However, just as Al-Qaeda was completely and entirely wrong about America, so was Hamas. Hamas's attack only unified Israeli society. But in their mind, in attacking the defenseless civilian population, Hamas strived to turn the home front into the front line. The civilian population is convenient and easy to hit, to target. The randomness of the attacks and the lack of distinction in the selection of targets contribute to the feeling of fear and panic. The message conveyed through these attacks to the public is that anyone, at any given moment, anywhere, may be the target of terrorist attacks. This type of threat undermines a sense of stability and security necessary to lead a normal life for a nation. Look, the idea is that people will feel fear in every routine daily action. When they go to work, when they go for a run, when they go with their children to children's activity, and in the home environment as well. 
I remember very well the suicide bomber terror campaign in Israel in the 2000s. Wherever we went, we always looked around us suspiciously and worried. We were constantly assessing the risk of injury and thinking how to avoid arriving at the scene of a possible attack. Once again, terrorists, and in this case Hamas, want our daily routine to be conducted with total anxiety. They want to change us from a united and cohesive national society around a common history, culture, language, national interests, shared values, and goals to a paralyzed group of fearful individuals confined to their homes and all our attention directed to personal safety. I will not say that Israelis aren't fearful and anxious. We are, but in all of the conflicts we Israelis have unfortunately endured, some of which I personally participated in, I have never experienced and felt such resolve as now. The resilience of Israeli society is the backbone providing the Israeli Defense Forces with the will and the power to prevail over our enemies. Israeli soldiers on the ground feel the strength of the people of Israel, creating great motivation among the troops. This is exactly the opposite of Hamas' intentions and goals. Rather than a paralyzed Western society, we are an awesome pillar of great strength. How does that translate to triumph on the ground? The more success the Israeli Defense Forces have in eliminating Hamas military commanders, especially the senior command, the closer we get to breaking Hamas. The killing of Hamas commanders helps to demoralize and erode the morale of their so-called troops. In previous rounds, the fighting ability of Hamas terrorists, especially when they are under pressure, depends on the command, control, and leadership abilities of their companies, battalions, and brigade commanders. This is why the Israeli Defense Forces is on a constant intelligence watch to locate senior commanders of Hamas. The intention is to break Hamas's ability to fight in an organized manner. In other words, break their ability to fight as an army, have them scatter as individual squads, which is no match for the Israeli Defense Forces. To achieve this goal, the battle for the city of Khan Yunis in the southern part of the Gaza Strip is the key battle in this war. You see, the city of Gaza which is in the northern part of the Gaza Strip, serves as Hamas's civil government, protected by many of their terrorist squads, but not able to stand in the way of our troops. Hamas's military headquarters are in Khan Yunis. The IDF has already surrounded Khan Yunis and is now breaking the defenses of Hamas around the city. Israel knows that shattering the terrorists in Khan Yunis will lead to Hamas' breaking point. Once Hamas feels it is about to be strangled in Khan Yunis, they will be desperate for a ceasefire, adhering to Israel's demands of release of our hostages. It also may lead to an arrangement, an agreed arrangement, of surrender and exile of Hamas's gunmen, as well as senior members of Hamas's civilian establishment. The Israeli Defense Forces estimates that if Hamas feels that Khan Yunus is falling, it will strive to reach a deal, release of hostages, and surrender. Breaking the military power of Hamas would then allow the Israeli Defense Forces to move from the ground offensive maneuver phase to the search and destruction phase of Hamas's military infrastructure. That is to say, the IDF will go on to destroy the tunnel system, the rocket launch system, the hideouts serving for production of rockets, production of unmanned aerial vehicles, and other means of warfare produced by Hamas. 
we are seeing more and more photos and video footage of large groups of terrorists giving themselves in and being arrested by the Israeli Defense Forces in the Gaza Strip. In the photos, the terrorists are seen without shirts and shoes as part of their inspection to make sure they aren't carrying bomb belts or other explosives. All around them are IDF soldiers, certainly photos of defeated Hamas fighters. Others were recorded on top military vehicles on their way to be interrogated by the Israeli Secret Service. The terrorists investigated by the Shin Bet, again the Israeli Secret Service, have provided valuable intelligence both on hideouts, tunnels, general infrastructure, the use of civilians and human shields, and more. Now look, there's a couple of myths branded about terrorists in general, about Muslim radical terrorists, about their ideology. What are these myths? One of them says that they're willing to martyrdom. In other words, carrying out Allah's wishes and die in the name of Allah. That's one. A second says that for every dead terrorist, two or three replace him. I say nonsense. You'll always hear the leadership of radical Muslim terror groups glorify and sanctify dying in the name of Allah. Again, it's a myth. A myth constructed by that same leadership hiding out in safe houses in countries like Qatar or in deep tunnels not daring to show their faces or quote-unquote lead their troops. In the case of Hamas, the leadership is filthy rich. Or should I say, rich from filth. The Hamas leadership built its wealth mainly through the booming tunnel industry. The way it worked was that Hamas leadership would promote Gaza mafia families to run the smuggling via the tunnels, mainly from Egypt to Gaza. The Hamas leadership that would then impose taxes, usually around 20%, on all goods smuggled through the tunnels. The goods were anywhere from luxury food to missiles. The 20% tax went directly into the pockets of the leadership. While 60% of Gazan civilians were unemployed, Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh accumulated no less than $5 billion of personal wealth. Now, do you think he's leading the troops? You think he's willing to meet Allah via martyrdom with his $5 billion? Another Hamas leader, Khaled Mash'al, also accumulated roughly $5 billion. He's not looking to fight the fight. He'll send others brainwash others, but himself? Are you kidding? Sinwar and Def, the commanders of Hamas and Gaza, are multimillionaires. Almost everyone in Hamas leadership is extremely wealthy. They are the exact contradiction of the symbol they try hard to brand themselves as. I guarantee you, provided the opportunity, they will run, leaving everyone else to fend for themselves. What about the myth of, for every terrorist killed, two or three others will emerge? If that was true, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, to name a few, would be numbered in great multitudes. When these groups are confronted by societies, like Israeli society, that possess fortitude and, of course, firepower, these terrorists cower. They disintegrate. They collapse. And this brings me to a very important point. The same psychological terror these groups think will be their means of victory serve as their own downfall. You now see it very clearly in Gaza. Hamas terrorists are surrendering in large numbers. Some of them, not even yet confronted by the IDF soldiers, are turning themselves in. They are simply undressing from the military uniform, throwing away their weapons, raising their hands up high, and hoping for the best. Hoping to survive. The myth that was built around the strong, brave fighter willing to die for their cause and religious ideology shatter at once. They have no real resolve. They're weak, 
mainly mentally. And that stands in exact contrast to the Israeli society and the IDF soldiers' mentality. I want to repeat something I said earlier. In all of the conflicts we Israelis have unfortunately endured, I have never experienced and felt such resolve, strength, and resilience. Hamas has achieved exactly the opposite of what they intended. As a common Israeli, I have never experienced more unity, sense of family, volunteering, acts of kindness, love, and desire for peace. Thank you for listening. Please share this and other episodes. This episode and all others can be listened to on all podcast media sources such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and more. It is also possible to listen on InsideIsrael.fm. The Inside Israel podcast needs your support. If willing, please log into InsideIsrael.fm and click on the Support Us button.